From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Throughout the pandemic, health experts and human rights advocates have been warning about the risk of a COVID-19 outbreak in the prison system. Now, it's happened. Hundreds of prisoners in New South Wales have contracted COVID-19 in recent weeks, with the worst of the outbreak centred at Parkley, a private correctional centre. Family members of those inside Parkley are now speaking out about their concerns over the level of care and treatment that COVID-positive patients are receiving. Today, contributor to the Saturday paper, Denham Sadler, on what happens when you test positive for COVID-19 inside prison and how this outbreak could have been prevented. It's Tuesday, September 28. Denham, you've been talking to people who have family members in prison in New South Wales right now. What are they saying to you? Yeah, so they, these family members are very, very distressed. They're so anxious about their loved ones. And um, it is all centred on Parkley Correctional Centre at the moment, which is the minimum and maximum security prison in Sydney that houses more than 1,000 people. So it's a huge prison. And at the moment, they've got more than half the cases across New South Wales prisons, half the COVID cases. These family members kind of describe really distressing situations. I was constantly calling them and constantly getting hung up on and constantly no answers. Um, You're kind of sitting there and looking at social media. I talked to people who had family members that have tested positive to COVID, as well as family members that, that don't have COVID, but kind of involved in lockdowns in the prisons and pretty awful conditions anyway. The main concerns come down to they're not allowed any communication with their loved ones if they have COVID. They don't really give too much information, even to next of kin. They kind of leave you in the dark, and that's why both sides, my anxiety and his anxiety, kind of skyrockets because you don't know, are they getting looked after or um, has he collapsed? One of the family members I spoke to, she's named Natalie and her partners in Parkley. He went in in at the end of August, and within three days, the prison told her that he tested positive for COVID, and then she went about three weeks without hearing anything because he's got no access to phones, no access to lawyers. He um, missed the important appeal date for his conviction. He describes not even being given a pen and paper to do anything about that. All his rights have been taken basically away from him um, because just the fact where he can't call a legal team, um, I heard his voice today, he was just very stressed. That's a very common theme among families, that they're being denied communication with their lawyers as well, which can have a huge impact and there's no real precedent to whether anything will be done to to fix that situation. Mm. And so how did this outbreak at Parkley Prison begin and how bad is it? So we know that the first COVID cases were detected in the last week of August. Sydney's Parkley Correctional Centre has been placed into strict lockdown after at least 12 inmates tested positive to COVID-19. And And that's risen. There have been more than 170 positive cases within the prison and there's close to 100 active cases there now. We are experiencing an outbreak at Parkley Prison. There have been 43 new cases linked to Parkley Correctional Centre to 8pm last night. Meaning there are now- and it's spread across the justice system in New South Wales now. There's, there's more than 300 cases across the prisons 
in New South Wales, and we know that kind of about a third of those are Indigenous Australians. Yesterday, New South Wales Health confirmed 31 cases at Sydney's Park Lee Prison, as well as cases connected with prisons in Silverwater and Bathurst. Prisons and, jail- and we know after that first week of August, the prison sent about 10 COVID-positive patients to other prisons to kind of a specially built facility to treat people with COVID. But then after that, they've been told by the government and their kind of way to deal with it is internally. So now if you test positive for COVID in Parkley, you're locked to your cell up to 24 hours a day. A few people I've spoken to kind of describe they may be let out for a shower one in every three days. And all of them kind of said they have, they didn't see sunlight for two or three weeks. I spoke to one person specifically called Troy who um, caught COVID in the prison. So he had a new cellmate move in at the end of August. And then pretty soon after that, the prison raised concerns that that cellmate had come into contact with the virus somehow. He developed symptoms two days after that, pretty severe COVID symptoms, a classic fever, coughing. But then he says he wasn't tested for the virus for five days. So he was left in the cell, locked in with those symptoms. He describes feeling like he was nearly dying. And um, he said eventually he was given two Panadol tablets and some melatonin as well by the guards. He says that's the extent of medical treatment he was given the whole time, even though he got COVID pretty severely. Right. Okay. So it sounds like there are some issues with access to medical care at Parkley. But do we know why Parkley seems to be so badly hit, why the bulk of COVID-19 cases in the New South Wales prison system are happening there? There's one very big thing that sets Parkley apart from a lot of other prisons in New South Wales, and that's that it's privately operated. So there's obviously a lot of other prisons that are outsourced, but this is one of the biggest ones, a company called Management Training Corporation, which is um, a big US company. They run a lot of prisons over in the US. They make a lot of money from that. They run it in partnership with a company called Broad Spectrum, which used to be called Transfield, and a lot of people have probably heard of them from running in immigration detention centres and know a lot of the stories about the conditions in those too. So I, I spoke specifically to a doctor who used to work in a number of prisons in New South Wales and kind of had close contact with New South Wales Justice and Justice Health, and he he says his first reaction to it being Parkley, the, the prison that saw a lot of cases, was his heart just sank and he didn't think they'd be able to cope. He's had long-standing concerns about the conditions in the prison in terms of healthcare well before COVID. He says they weren't meeting minimum standards, they weren't providing any level of care that we'd expect for someone in the general society in these prisons. That was a core theme in Pups White's worse at Parkley in terms of there's private operators, it's a bit hands-off from the state government, it's harder to get information, there's a lack of transparency, and health services aren't necessarily up to the same level as in public prisons. We'll be back in a moment. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Denim, who is responsible for this outbreak? As you've said, Parkley is a private prison, but 
it obviously has to abide by the New South Wales government's regulations. So who is culpable and how is this likely to play out? It's another one that's made a lot trickier by it being privatised, but it still all does come back to the state government. Like These are people that are under, meant to be under the care of the state government, even if they've outsourced some of that job. There are a number of inquiries going on. There's an independent inspector of custodial services, and um, they've launched an inquiry. It's into the COVID response in general in prisons, but um, that will obviously focus on Parkley. It does come back to the private company and obviously whether these companies, they have in their contracts, there's elements they get fined if someone loses their life in prison, if someone escapes, there's things like that. We don't really know the details of that because they're often redacted, but you'd imagine there might be some consequences for the prison depending on what these inquiries find out. And there is precedent in other states to kind of take these prisons back into state control, but it's obviously very early to, to say whether anything like that will happen. So I think that that's another concern among the family members is who is held to account when this stuff happens in a privately run facility and who's able to kind of step in and help the situation now because these inquiries might get answers, but they're not going to help the people that are still in there now with, with COVID raging inside there. Mm. And Denim, going right back to the beginning of the pandemic, there were warnings about what might happen if COVID-19 entered the prison system. There were concerns about how it it might spread in crowded jails and that inmates wouldn't be able to protect themselves because they wouldn't be able to socially distance and that kind of thing. Given that we're now more than 18 months into the pandemic, did Parkley Prison just miss the opportunity in which to, to put things in place to prevent this from happening? Could it have been avoided? I think it's pretty safe to say that all prisons have missed an opportunity in Australia to to be prepared for this. It's just happening at Parkley at the moment. But we've known since the start of the pandemic, it's more than 18 months, that prisons are, are one of the really top at-risk areas for a COVID outbreak in terms of kind of a lack of hygiene. There's no ability to socially distance. And in terms of the people that are put in these prisons are much more likely to be vulnerable to the virus as well. And in terms of vaccination rates, we know that the prison and prison staffs were included in phase 1B of the rollout, which kicked off in March. But um, we also know that there wasn't any real rush to vaccinate these facilities. And there's been big issues around access to vaccine. It's been reported that vaccines that were meant to go to Parkley Prison, where the outbreak was, have actually got diverted to the high schools in New South Wales when that happened last month. And um, a lot of the family members I spoke to said their loved ones are more than happy to get vaccinated, but it's only in the recent, the last month or so since the outbreak that the prison's kind of been ramping up its efforts to get people vaccinated, which is obviously great now, but that's not going to do much to to fix this outbreak at the moment. So um, there were a lot of options. We knew the risk, but nothing had really been done. And that's kind of led to this crisis now. And we knew about this, like so many organisations, legal groups, human rights groups have been warning us from the very start the prisons are just a huge ticking time bomb waiting to go off in terms of COVID. A lot of the people I talk to kind of describe Australia almost getting lucky that we didn't have many cases last year. We haven't seen any outbreaks until this recent one in a prison. But I think there's also been very little done to mitigate that risk going into this year. Mm. And when you think about what's happening at Parkley, the size of the outbreak at the moment, the amount of people that have been affected all of the things that allowed this to happen, things like vaccines being diverted elsewhere, uh, the impact on on the prisoners themselves, on their ability to access the justice system. What does it say to you about the way our prison system more broadly is operating in Australia at the moment? Because from the outside, when you hear all of that, it, it sort of sounds like no one really cares what's happening to these prisoners. I think that's that's it, unfortunately. I think it says a lot of how we view prisons in themselves as places partly 
for punishment and also places you can just put people in and forget about. And I think if that's your approach to prisons, it's much easier to hear about an outbreak there and not be really concerned and not do things to stop that. If you think people are there because they deserve it, they deserve to be punished, that's what's going to happen. And I think it raises very important questions about privatisation as well. I think it's much more common in prisons here than I think a lot of people realise. I think than I realised before I started looking at it properly that there's a huge amount of private prisons in Australia. And I think that does raise huge questions in normal times. But I think their problems become much more exacerbated when you have a huge crisis like a COVID outbreak and all these issues that come with it that are made worse by having a private company operating it. These huge, one of them is a huge American company that makes hundreds of millions of dollars a year. And I think, yeah, is that really the sort of company we want looking after these very vulnerable people when there's COVID raging across the prison system? If any positive can come out of this is that maybe there's a spotlight on this, on the conditions, and hopefully it's, it's seen that this isn't just due to COVID. Like, these are conditions that people are in for the whole time they're in prison. It's not just this crisis... And there, hopefully, maybe a reshaping of viewing how we treat people that are incarcerated. Dylan, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Sloane Crosley is known for her funny and acerbic personal essays. But her new memoir digs much deeper to examine the loss of her best friend. Join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Sloane about Grief is for People. Find it wherever you listen. Also in the news today, the New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian has unveiled the next stages of the state's reopening roadmap. Lockdown restrictions will be eased for fully vaccinated people from the 11th of October when the state reaches the 70% vaccination target. Hospitality, non-essential retail and personal services will be allowed to reopen, subject to density limits. And up to five visitors will be allowed at home with outdoor gatherings limited to 20 people. The same freedoms will be allowed for unvaccinated people from the 1st of December. And GPs and pharmacies located in the outer suburbs of Melbourne will receive cash grants of up to $10,000 in order to speed up the vaccine rollout in COVID-hit suburbs. Clinics wanting to take part can register their interest with the Victorian government from next week. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.